Hi everyone, I'm Chad Harms, and this is Testimony, a podcast telling the stories of how and why people became Christians. On today's bonus episode, you'll hear Francine Rivers talk about a couple of light topics, including her favorite Christian novel, and a couple of heavy topics, like what she would say to women who have had an abortion. Before it plays, I want to remind you that I'd love to read your testimony. You can share it with me by going to testimonypodcast.com and filling out the form there. There's a chance I'll ask for permission to read it on the show. You can also use the form on testimonypodcast.com to share ideas with me about whose testimony you'd like to hear on the show. I'm genuinely interested to know, so make sure to fill out the form. Before today's episode plays, I want to make clear, as I always do with our bonus episodes, that it is just that, a bonus episode. It is meant to be listened to in conjunction with the full-length episode that came out a while back. That episode shares the story of how and why Francine became a Christian. It is an amazing story about God's redeeming love and how it transformed Francine's life and marriage. If you haven't already listened to it, hit pause on this episode and go listen to that one first. It may make things you hear on this episode make more sense, but I definitely think it will help them be more full. The next episode of Testimony will share the story of Frank Rich. Frank is a former bodybuilder, men's health coach, host of the Superhuman Life podcast, and founder of Rebuilt Recovery, a company that helps men break their pornography addictions. Frank's story is one of my favorite that I've ever had the privilege to record. The work God has done in his life in just a short amount of time is incredible, and you'll definitely want to hear it. So make sure to subscribe to Testimony wherever you get your podcasts. Here is a clip. We find the steakhouse, and it's, you know, it's a Tuesday, Wednesday afternoon, so it's like real dead in, in, in downtown Orlando. We were probably one of maybe five tables that, that was seated. Um, wait, waiter, waitress comes over at the, you know, at the beginning, you know, brings us our, our water, and Josh kind of looks at him and is like, we're gonna be here for a while. Um, just to let them know, like, hey, we're not in any rush to order or anything, like, this is gonna just gonna be a long, drawn-out lunch. I'm pretty sure we tipped them pretty well that, that, that afternoon, but um, right out of the gate, man, he, he asked me two questions. He asked permission to ask me a question first. Uh, he said, Frank, can I ask you a question? And I said, absolutely. Um, and I think he knew I had a poor relationship with my dad, but his first question was, how's your relationship with your father? And then what do you know about God? Now I want to play you more from my conversation with Francine Rivers. Before it starts, let me just say how much I love this first part. In it, Francine describes the scene in her early writing days. As a parent, I find it super relatable. As a person who has been impacted by Francine's writing, I find it humorous. Yeah, when I started writing, you know, we were starting to have kids. And, they, and it just, you know, at one point when we had all three, I had one in a cradleette behind the typewriter. One would be napping in the bottom drawer of the desk, you know, because they were big desk drawers, and the and the third was in a playpen behind me. So I, I was always writing with the kids around, and as they got older, I would interview them and just say, "Well, what did you dream about?" And then I'd just start asking them questions as I would be typing their story, and then I I'd say, "That's what mom does, you know. What I'm doing here is I'm writing a story, and just like you have." dreamed a story, you know, so kind of helped them understand um, some of what was going on. And I, my son, my older son, when he was in college, he said he, he took a class um, in writing and he wrote a poem about his mother's um, hands and typing, that there was just a piece about it, you know, and of course, for me, it was incentive, you know, the baby would sleep as long as I was typing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and if I stop typing, the baby wake up. You know? <laughs> That's a great way to get a few thousand words in, I guess. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So who is your favorite Christian author, uh, fiction author, fiction author, and then what is your favorite Christian novel? Favorite Christian novel, I could say, is The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. As to my favorite Christian author, a lot of times, and, and I've said this so many times, and it sounds, <laughs> my favorite Christian author is who I happen to be reading at, at the moment, you know, because I think when you're reading a book, you're getting a unique voice from a unique individual. And there just is no comparison. I don't think there's any one book is better than all the rest. Because if a book impacts a person's life, that is the best book for that person that was ever written. So, um, you know, there are so many extraordinary writers right now in the Christian market and young ones coming in that I think are going to be um, giving us stories for many years to come. And I think Christian fiction is just broadened. You know, when I came in, they were only doing, I think uh, Tyndale was publishing Grace Livingston Hill. And I thought, you know, why are they even talking to me? Because I don't write books like that. I, w- I want to write real stories about struggle and how hard it is to be a Christian. Um, and now, I mean, they're all genres represented so it's really broadened and it's offering so much more. And the talent is incredible. Do you have a couple names for us? Yeah, a new one coming up is Tanya. It's T-I-L-O-W-E. She's a terrific writer. She, um, Under the Magnolia, I think, is um, her latest novel. But she is really, really talented. Uh, Nicole Bart, who's in the general market, but she writes very deep books and is an extraordinary talent um you know and there you know they're just there just are so many did you enjoy producing the movie was that fun yeah actually yes it was quite an experience we um i was able to write the script we've been working with various companies over 30 years to get the movie to the screen and i finally thought i'm going to write the script so they understand what i want in a script because they the men that were writing the scripts didn't get Michael. I didn't understand. He's not coming on to her. He's like Jesus, you know? So I wrote the script. And then when DJ Caruso came on board, uh, he and I worked together for the production because I wrote it as a linear story, like the novel, which would be really hard for people to watch the, the whole backstory of angel up front. Um, And then we worked on various scenes together. And then we went to Rick and I went to South Africa where it was filmed and got to watch the actors and, and meet people. And then we gave copies of the book to everybody on the, on the crew and all the actors. And they finished filming 24 hours ahead of the COVID shutdown. The entire movie was finished. And we had a number of people say there was just a different feel on the set because the whole point of the, the movie is to reach people for Christ, is to show the redemption story and that no one is beyond redemption and he can turn a life completely around. And there were a number of non-Christians on the crew that said, you know, I, I don't believe, but I wish I did, or I want to because of watching how this is so different from any other project they've been on. 
And so we're what we hoped and what we still hope is that Christians will take the movie and show it to unsaved family or friends. And then it's meant to open a dialogue. Fiction is always meant to bridge to the real thing. It's meant to be a tool to talk about the real relationship. So you know this, I'm sure, as a consumer, but the movie can never be as good as the book, right? Like, that's just the way it is. Did yeah. you feel that way about your own? Yeah. Like, I mean, is you, because there's, you know, things you just can't, it would be a 10 hour movie or whatever. So did yeah. you feel the same? Yeah. I felt that, well, it's two different art forms and we made sure that we had the basic, the main um, scenes that were so important to the story, the book. Have you always loved history? Yeah, well, Rick Rick has always loved history. I didn't like history in school, but I have really enjoyed researching novels. Uh, the The problem sometimes is you get so caught up in the history, you don't really want to start the writing, you know, and collecting all that and seeing other aspects of it that could be in another story. But it's fascinating because we can learn a lot from history. And hopefully not repeat it. I mean, you look at the Bible and there's this cycle, the just constant cycle. And of course, it's true of all of us is that, you know, Israel is doing very well and they're trusting in the Lord and they're worshiping the Lord and then they're prospering. And then they feel like, well, we don't really need the Lord. And they start turning away and worshiping other things. And then they're collapsing and getting disciplined and then back to faith again. And I see that kind of happening in our country. I think there, we were just hearing the other day on the news that 20% of the country believe that the Bible is true. That was very different when we were growing up in the 50s. And in, in our county, we're in Sonoma County, 3% attend church. And just because they're 3% in church doesn't mean that they're all, all 3% believe. They're seekers. So... It's a very, very small percentage of people in Sonoma County that actually go to church. Yeah, that's that was true down in uh, Mill Valley and uh, and uh, Marin County as well. Prosperous counties—they have lots of money. They don't—they don't feel like they need God. They've got it all. They've got control. They can handle it. You know, it's an illusion. It is. I was told in a class down there that there were more. Uh, anonymous groups uh, in in uh, Marin County than any other county in America, uh, and that's despite such such great affluence. Well, you know, people realize when they're prosperous and affluent. Well, that doesn't answer the needs of the heart and the soul. So it's like, well, what what's the deal here? I thought this was the American dream, and this is where we get our happiness and our self worth. And it's like, nope. We're, we're made to have a relationship with God. And I think if we don't have that relationship, we're always looking for something to replace it. And nothing can. Nothing is going to satisfy the soul except Christ. So you mentioned hypocrisy at churches that affected Rick. And, and it sounds like yourself, too. Um, you know, do you have anything to say about that before I let you go and the effect that our hypocrisy as Christians can have on those outside of uh, the church? We're in church to worship the Lord. 
and we're imperfect people. All of us are. And not to expect that perfection. You know, to, if you're looking for perfection, you look to Jesus Christ. Um, and, I, and I think that's, you know, there, I think we need to stick and not run away. I think when you're in, when you're young and you're not very mature, you tend to walk away and just say, I'm done with it, which is what I did for a long time. But now I would, I would tend to stand up and speak out more and call to account in a gentle way, in a loving way, hopefully. A quick note, in Francine's testimony, she mentioned Joe, the man in the Bible. She was the third person on the show to do that in a row. And so I asked her this follow-up question. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting because the last two people I've had on have also uh, talked about Job and, uh, and, and both struggled with depression. And they kind of see how God used that depression in different ways. Um, but both would point to the fact that those really difficult times are part of the way that God brought them into a relationship with him, that, that he brought them to Christianity. And so uh, it's, you know, you talk about Job and even in that, I'm sure that God used that in a deep internal way in Job's life that we don't even get to read about. Yeah. Well, you look at Saul, King Saul and, and David, and they're, they're very similar in personality and they both dealt with depression, but it was, who did they turn to? You know, and how did they handle it? And I, I always kind of wonder about Jonathan because he was between the two and he was kind of the one holding the kingdom together while his father's chasing David, but also encouraging David that you are go- going to be God's anointed king. I know you're going to be king. And he was the heir apparent. I mean, he had everything to lose by David winning, but he was saying, no, you're the one that God's chosen and I'm behind you. But I also have to honor and be with my father and try to hold everything together. Two very passionate, very, you know, up and down men. Uh, you mentioned your abortion, and I, I wonder what you would say to um, women who have had abortions um, or are thinking about having an abortion. And and actually, I, I uh, it seems like sins uh, sometimes can actually prevent people from wanting to come into churches, especially especially sins that churches talk a lot about, right? And um, and so, you know, you, you seem like a kind, loving person, but also somebody who takes a pro-life stance. And so what would you say to those women? I would say go to a PCC. That's where I really was able to deal with what happened to me. And, um, you know, like our local pregnancy counseling center, they have post-abortion classes. And you want real choice, go to a pregnancy counseling center and let them tell you all of your options. And they will help you through it. And it may turn out to be what the crisis that you're facing could turn out to be the greatest blessing of your life. I wish there were ways for people, especially women, um, who have been through the abortion experience to stand and speak out for life and for what happened to them, because there's so many that are deeply traumatized by an abortion. So my hope is that they'll speak out more and the truth will come out of what it's all about. Because I think Satan right now is having a field day in America. 
Thank you for listening all the way to the end. I hope that you found that conversation interesting and helpful. If you'd like to make a financial donation to the show, it would help us out a lot. You can do that by going to testimonypodcast.com and clicking on the big yellow button. Anything you donate will help this show be heard by more people. Again, thanks for listening.